Hey, everybody. My name is Rob Shear, and I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm also an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, an author of a book, A Forever Family. But most importantly, I am the father of four amazing children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right here where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a social media consultant, a radio host, a podcast producer, and a mother of two children. See, our country's foster care system is shattered, and this podcast is about how we as a community can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Hi, Dina. This is Connie. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Hey, Connie. It's Rob. Hey, Rob. How are you? I'm great, <laughs> my love. How are you? I'm, I am having a stressful week, but I am holding on. <laughs> First of all, I just want to thank you so much. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your crazy busy schedule and be on our our podcast Fostering Change. You know, I truly believe that that it takes more than just one person to make change, that it takes our entire community. And as I say often, your community is not your zip code, but it's our human race. And so, you know, all Absolutely. of the things that you have been doing over the years and, you know, being able to watch your 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 video and, and all that you've <laughs> done for your boys and, by the way, for your beautiful daughter. Oh, um, you. you know, I, I would love to start out with, you know, talking about your story. I mean, I think it takes so much for, you know, I, I hear people all the time who are saying they're getting ready to graduate from high school and they're going to be social workers. And mm-hmm. I don't really think they understand what that takes. And for you to have been in that position, and how many years were you, were you doing it? Close to 30 altogether, close oh to 30. And I'm, an, and, I'm, and I'm an accident because my degrees were not in this to start off with. And um, I was a professional musician, flutist. I went to school for music and I worked my way through school in mental health, working in mental health. And when I had a car accident, I was with the orchestra. I had a car accident and I couldn't play anymore. I um, went back, the state grandfathered me in and I went back to school and I stayed. And it was what I was good at. I, obviously, it was what I was meant to be doing in life. So I'm a firm believer that sometimes you're put where you're supposed to be as opposed to where you think you're, you're supposed to be. And I wouldn't change anything. I would not change anything. So so 30 years, oh my gosh, 30 years. <laughs> oh my God. That's just crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you do know, I, I think I was reading some something that said that the average social worker only lasts like two years um, when it comes to social workers who are dealing with kids in the foster care system. Um, you're in Florida. You're in Florida. Um, you know, Florida has, Florida. Florida has a lot of changes that are going on. Um, I don't know if you, yeah. my friend, um, my friend Ashley Brown, she has a foundation called the Selfless Love Foundation down in Florida. Yes. And we're seeing mm-hmm. lots of... Um, matches um, where kids who are getting adopted out of the foster care system. But what we're also seeing, and from what we're hearing up here in our little little part of, of the D.C. area, is that um, you're seeing more and more kids coming into the system. We're seeing more kids coming in. And, you know, matching, having created a heart gallery um, 14 years ago in our area, that's really a solid one. Um, 
you know, we knew I used to do the um, TV shows for um, Recruitment Wednesday's Child. We helped create, I helped create that program here. Um, and then, you know, knowing that our kids just had those little pictures, um, which looked like jail pictures, we created the heart galleries. And then we have um, programs like Selfless Love Commit. But the problem is not that there are not families. And the problem is not, is really, it's the assessment of the families and long-term, because what I specialize is, is, is honestly, is disruption and dissolution. And so supporting those families through the adoption, through the um, process, and letting them know, I mean, because nobody comes into adoption to return a child back to foster care, whether that's for services or for whatever reason. And what we're seeing, though, is yeah, we had this great, you know, all these placements, but long-term, what are we talking about? And that's really my passion is really supporting that. And the kids keep coming in. We haven't, you know, we have an increased amount of children coming in. And down here, what's happening is we're privatized. And we are in the midst of our, in my in my area, the third lead agency. Um, so I always tell people that I worked for. HRS, DCF, um, then we had three agencies that left. The first one was there for four years, second one was there for two and a half, and then the one that's there now, um, which may change again because there are lots of issues, um, you know, 10 years. And what happens every time that happens is you lose your adoption expertise, and children are sitting in offices um, getting bounced, and these are babies. So we're causing so much trauma on top of in utero trauma, on top of the trauma they experience of why they come in care. So, yeah, the adoptive parents are kind of like, they come into it very hopeful, but we have to support them along in that journey. I'm somebody that kind of fell into working with Rob and just wanting to be a part of Comfort Cases when I saw Rob on the Ellen Show um, two years ago. So what is it that causes those disruptions where you have families that want to adopt, you have families that want to foster, and you have kids that need homes, but what gets in the way of all that just you know, connecting people so that they can have a family and these kids can have stability. What gets in the way? Well, a couple things. Um, first of all is that we are not, um, I think, preparing the families, although you don't know what it's like until you're, you know, I say on the horse and riding. Um, and that's from my own personal experience is that, you know, I worked this system forever and I saw, I ran support groups and I came as close as you could to feeling what families were feeling. But until I brought my, my son home, and, I, and my sons had a lot of challenges. They had a lot, of, a lot of trauma. I knew they were tough. But until I was by myself as a single mom at 50, and my son kicked in the front door, and I thought, oh, my gosh, all my parenting skills that I have, they, they're not going to fix this. I can't help this. And so having to really look creatively. So I don't think we have to prepare them better. We have to educate them better. We have to then assess them better. We have to look at the their losses, look at their strengths. Um, and I think that is not happening as a whole. And I think the relationships are what's not happening, relationships with that social worker. I mean, because honestly, I worked in the system when I brought my first son home, and they were the most ununderstanding. Like, I could not take my problems to my boss because when he found out what was happening in my home, the, the, the words to me were, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah, I, I, oh my gosh, you know, I, I've been a little silent <laughs> right. because, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with so much of what you're talking about. You know, our kids arrived 
it'll be 11 years in January and we have not had one person, not one person step up and give us any support when it came to social workers, when it came to any county officials, county help, nothing, no one, you know, and again, I I grew up in the system. I, I realize that there you these kids came with baggage, but what we're dealing with right now within our family, you know, we have a, a son who, you know, has post-traumatic stress disorder and, you know, talking about kicking in a front door, been there, been there. Um, and, you know, and still here we are still nobody has reached out and said, you know what, we're here to help you. But what I did hear, which sickens my heart, and this is the first time I've said this in the show, and, and I'm not going to tell my son's story because that's his, his, that's his story to tell. But what I will tell you is about three weeks ago when someone looked at me and said, well, you do know that he was a kid who you adopted through foster care that you can give him back. You can give him that back. That is the message. And that is that's the message. That's the message. The message for someone to say that. We are disposable. Yep. Mm-hmm. We are disposable society. And so changing that thought process is that failure is not an option. When, you, when these children, and my boys were both from disruptions, you know, um, 47 placements, and, and, our, and Taylor's family gave him back. I was there. So not only was he, we found that he was abused in that home, they kept his sisters, but they returned him to foster care. And he was only with them two years, and he was seven and a half. So, you know. I mean, um, how can a seven talk. and a half? I mean, and, and by the way, let me tell <laughs> you. Uh, uh, <laughs> is what they said. <laughs> and, by, and damn it, they deserve to be yeah. angry. They deserve to yeah, be angry. They have every right. They have every right to be angry. But I think the problem is, is that, you know, I mean, my kids have been going to therapy for years. And, you know, we are very active parents. We are not parents who, you know, our children are our everything. I mean, my husband, critic, I literally went and got his master's. And two years after he gets his master's, he stops working just so he could be home with our kids to be a stay-at-home you, dad. And that is something that we don't discuss enough is that, you know, I truly um, found I could not stay working for the state when I adopted my second. Well, I adopted him after that, but it was too hard. I don't know how I managed the two years with my first son working as an, an administrator over adoptions, you know, and um, because it's 24-7 and, and no understanding. No, I mean, nobody knew what was happening in my house, much less the social worker. Um, and I found that, you know, working in the system, I even had trouble, like I had all these parents I knew were going through this, but I was still the system. So when I stepped out of working in the system, then I was really able to engage other families who were going through the same thing. And I believe that that is key. I believe that we have to help each other. And I don't think that um, until you've had a child in your home that has trauma and worked creatively to find systems and parenting styles that work with them that you can really place a child. (laughs) That's just my philosophy because unless you've handled a disruption, a dissolution and a successful long-term post-adoption understanding family, how do you make a placement? How do you know what's important? It's not as simple as, you know, and really our parents have to be prepared to take it all. So, 
you know, a parent may say, I don't want a child who has sexual abuse issues, but they adopt a child that has neglect. Well, we know, and what we don't discuss as social workers is that our children who are neglect sometimes, at least in Florida, they move from hotel to hotel to hotel. And in those hotels, there's usually inadequate supervision. But in a single room, where do you think the parents are having sexual relations in front of the children? Who do you think's watching those children? Somebody that's probably pretty marginal if mom's out earning a living. So those children are exposed to things. We don't discuss that. We don't talk about it. We don't, we say, well, we gave them full disclosure. Here's a child study. Okay, the child is not, is not sexually. <laughs> and you're like, wait. And at, and at 11 years old, you be, an adoptive parent begins to have issues. And they could be severe. And they're not prepared. And the first thing they say is, you didn't tell us. We didn't tell them. We, should, we have to educate them to, to look deeper. The same thing with alcohol exposure. We say the child was, mom did, you know, um, she smoked pot, but, you know, we know she didn't drink. Well, how do you know she didn't drink? Because I always say, if someone's doing drugs, do you think they don't have a beer in their hand? But see, we, we don't discuss those things with families to prepare them for the what could have, would have, should have. And so um, when they're dealing with a child that they're not getting a, a lot of um, reciprocal um, love back, and they're giving, 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 they're empty, and then something happens, and then they become more empty, and then they become angry, and they were disposable. Society. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. You know, and you're right. You're right. I, I, we talk about this on our podcast, you know, we want change, fostering change, you know, um, yeah. and that's why we talk about it. You know, let's, let's, let's back up a little bit and talk about, you know, your story, I, I was so excited, you know, you and I met through social media and I had heard about your story. I had followed your story and about your son. And, you know, here is this young man who the only thing that he asked for was to have a forever family. That's all he wanted. It's true. It's and true. And, you know, Oh, well, I was just going to interrupt for a second and just tell people that mm -hmm. there's a video that I actually watched that shows your story with your son that was on television a few years ago. And I'm going to put that in the post right. on our blog or on it's comfortcases.org slash podcast. You can find this post and then that's how people who are listening to the podcast can go and watch more about your story. Awesome. Anything you want to put up is great about our story. I feel like, you know, um, I learned so much through that process and, and he wasn't, he wasn't my son. Um, both my sons were children that I knew who were in the system who um, I, I was the type of person that when I meet a child or I help a child, they're in my heart. And I, um, maybe people say, you know, I've always have ethical boundaries, but I care. So Taylor, um, my first son, before dating on Kazan, because they're connected. They knew each other. I did his Wednesday's child. I did Davion's Wednesday's child. They were young. They were seven. Davion, I think, was seven. Um, we had matching events. You know, we started the heart gallery. They were both on the heart gallery. And the thing with Davion was, Every time he saw me get this big bear hug, I would look for, for families. I'd send him to the social worker. Nothing would happen. Of course, he was an African-American male. He had been, he was in, quote, therapeutic placements. He had been born in the system, born into the system. The rights on his case, he wasn't even free for adoption for seven years for no reason whatsoever. So forget federal law. <laughs> 
he was just forgotten. He was a privatization forgotten child, and he was left at a home that was marginal for those years. And then we were recruiting for him. And um, meanwhile, in that, um, I adopted Taylor. Taylor was 12 when I adopted him, and he came back from a failed adoption too, failed adoption. And I just told my boss, he's mine. Just bring him to my house. I don't care what it takes. Make it happen. And um, they were friends. So one day, Taylor came home and saw Davion's picture on the table from the Hart Gallery and said, that's my best friend. I'm like, well, let's visit him. Let's, I know Davion. Let's go ahead and get together. Because what I knew from raising Taylor for two years was that the hardest thing for Taylor was learning to live in a family. Because when you are in foster care, especially when you are in group homes, which my boys were extensively as they got older, you become more institutionalized. So the values of family, how families work, run, care, all of those things, they don't understand completely. And so I got permission. I'm kind of a little uh, forced to be reckoned with when I was in the system. And I just said, I want him on the weekends, and we're going to help him. We're going to prepare him for a family. So we took Davion on the weekends, and the boys were hanging out. We're going to dinner. They're playing, you know, games because he was in a group home. Always loved Davion. Always loved him. But I felt he needed a two-parent home. I was a single, 50-year-old mom struggling with Taylor, and I had two girls. Um, and they were having challenges. So it was a little hectic. But what Davion saw in our home was that I never gave up on Taylor. And what I used to tell Davion was, you'll know your family when you have a meltdown. Because he had asked me, because Taylor had a huge meltdown, huge. He had screamed in my face for a long time, and we worked through it as a family. And I told Davion, I said, you'll know your family when you have when you are finally yourself and you take off all these layers and you let it out and they don't leave you and they stay there with you no matter what you do. And we began to recruit. So I asked Davion what he would want to do. What would he do to find a family? Because I said, I would stand on the top of a building <laughs> with a picture for him. I would do whatever he wanted. And we began to brainstorm. And I had a relationship in the African-American community in St. Pete. And he said, you know, I'll go to church because he liked church. His mentor was involved in church. He really liked the church. So that's what we did. We started going to churches, and he would stand up and talk. And we decided to do a story on him for the newspaper, because that was another part of what I did. And um, the author of that, Lane DeGregory, was a Pulitzer Prize winner. She's amazing. She'd always done our foster care stories. And so we took about three interviews, because he didn't even know his history. I began to pull through his history and help him understand. And as he was doing this, all of a sudden it went viral. Like it got posted on Monday, and by Thursday, ABC World News was in town. Wow. Yeah. It, and so it taught me the power of social media. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're talking yeah. to the guy who, <laughs> let me tell you, I, I, people, I've had people, I've had critics who say, oh, my gosh, you use social media so much. And I'm like, excuse me, but because of social media, we have, you know, between my followers and our charity followers, we have over almost 100,000 followers. If you can just imagine, you know, 100,000 people talking about foster care, you know, I, I right, think and we get messages every single day from people all over the country. How can I help? I'm in North Carolina. Are you here? I'm in upstate New York. How can I help? So yeah, anybody that wants yeah. to laugh about it, no, it works. No, and you know what? I was not a social media person, but what I've learned 
is that it is the best tool out there. And I would do anything to get people to understand our children and what their needs are and what our families need and to, to care, to just have, you know, care. You don't know what you don't know. And that's how we move forward. We've, we, and then as it took off, um, we, he had 10,000 families call. He actually did. And um, 10,000 families call. Ten, now, hang on. And if you watch the interview on The View, 10,000 families. Now, what was going on at the agency, though, is they, of course, were not prepared. And they put everybody on deck. But this is the sad part of the story. That agency began to look for opportunity, which is another reason I'm not with them. And he became a moneymaker for them. And this is the part of, this is Davion's story, and he, I have permission to share it. Um, and one day he will probably, we don't like, I don't like to taint the good that came out of it. But I was watching this from the background because I was then pulled off everything. Because people wanted to talk to two people. They wanted to talk to him, and they wanted to talk to me, which was kind of crazy for me. They pulled me out because they wanted the agency to get that piece. And they began to make money. Um, he had a big picture on their website with a donate on his face. That's the first sad thing. The other sad thing is that 10,000 families called. We don't have a tracking system. I then began to say, well, give me some studies because we have other children if you don't want them. We have 120,000 in the United States. We got so many in Florida. We got, you know, 300 in our agents who need families. Nothing. Um, the fact of the matter is they gave him one family. One study, one. He jumped on it because he would have jumped on anything at that point. And he went with that family to Ohio. And by then I, I left the agency. But many, many people did not get a call back. We now know a little bit more because I've done a story with the same reporter. Because we all got phone calls. People did not get phone calls. There's no tracking. But what I will tell you is I do think that wave that happened, the best part about it was I believe there are people out there fostering and adopting today because they saw the story. Because I get messages all the time. I remember that. That's why we went to classes. I wanted him. I get that a lot. I wanted him, but they never called me back. And that is, the, and, and you know, that's the sad part. It is. It is. You know, I t I've, you know, Dana's been probably more educated about this than anybody because of doing this podcast and all the studying that we do to, to prepare for our guests. But, you know, this is a thing that we see so often, Dana, is that, and, and I've had people reach out to me who said, I've heard you give a speech and I wanted to, you know, learn more about being a foster parent. And I called the agency and nobody called me back. And again, I'm not here to bash social workers. I love you social no. workers. You guys are amazing. But I'm going to tell you, it is a shattered system from the very beginning. And the thing is, Rob, I believe they know that. The ones who are doing it day after day and are, are touching the families and, and the kids and are staying real, they know. They're not at a point, and I, I was that person. I was that person. And I would, you know, I believed in my position, if I went higher than, and made more money within that agency, I would lose touch to what my soul was. And my soul was those children. So every, I stayed, and, and through every transition, I stayed, and I'd get a different title. I'd be a director, then I'd be a specialist, <laughs> be an assistant director. But the thing is, I stayed as a consistent. Because I felt that if I left, there would be a huge hole. And, you know, um, there was a hole. I was back there yesterday for a staffing, and I was like, oh, my gosh, nobody's fighting for these kids. 
It's just, you know, I, I think we have to hold on to those workers and we have to encourage them to keep going. But we have to look at, from a management point at these systems and look creatively. We have to be honest about what's working and what's not working. No, I agree with you. I, you know, we talked about this. We talked about this, I think, in the beginning, Dana. Or with Sonia, I think we talked about it. Some of the things that, because Sonia Granados works in Miami. She was actually on a reality show that I watched, and she yeah. works in foster mm-hmm. care. Um, I don't know if you know who she is or not, but we had her on. Yeah, we had her on, and she was talking about some of the things that they're doing that are working. Um, it's a little different than what, than what your experience has been, but where they have the biological parents work with the foster parents and they have a meeting and they all talk together and that kind of diffuses some of the lack of trust and the, you know, they're just trying to take away my children and all that. And she said it's working. And Rob and I were like, well, why isn't this something if it's working? Why aren't we doing it everywhere? Sharing it, sharing it, sharing it. You know, I, and that's the thing I don't understand. I mean, I said this, I, I think I said this in one of our first episodes that Dana and I did where, you know, I, I went to our minister at our church um, and I said to Reverend Esther, I said, um, Reverend Esther, when has a social worker ever come to you and asked if they could talk to the congregation about being foster parents? And she said, mm-hmm. never. And I said, is it, it because is, yeah. of where we live? See, we live in a an all, you know, we live in a community where there's no townhouses, there's no apartments, it's all single family homes. Um, the medium income mm-hmm. is a little higher. And I said to a social worker after that, I said, why have we not done a marketing campaign to find, you know, good families, you know, in my zip code? And, and she right. says, she says, we just, you know, we don't know how to do that. And I said, what do you mean you don't know how to do that? I said, you're, you're able to put a sign on a, on a, on a county bus. You're able to, to, <laughs> you know, go to, it just blows my mind that we don't think out of the box to find these, these yeah. homes. And when you say 10,000 people, 10,000 mm-hmm. people who, who said, you know what? My heart is large enough. I want to do something. That was 10,000 children. Not just yes, your it son. It was 10,000 children that we completely yep. failed. Completely failed. Absolutely. I, I, I say that all the time. And I really, like I said, I feel, I, I like to keep, you know, Davey, I, because there was so much positive, like that ripple, like it went international. It was, it was positive that as he was dealing with this and things were happening. And of course, when he came back from the family in Ohio, um, and they had found me on Facebook. Because can I ask why that, he came oh, back? Can Excuse me. Can I ask why he came oh, back yeah, from I the know. family yeah. in Ohio? Well, it was it was actually put on the national news. Now, his HIPAA information was put out there, which oh. was insane. Yeah, yeah. Because the agency um, actually called the um, first reporter, the one that wrote the story, to do it when they knew he was coming back. And she called me, and they told her everything. She refused to do it because she could not talk to Davy on. They wouldn't let her, and because um, she wanted it from his point of view. And so then it went to World News, um, and they got the story um, about two weeks after he came home. So they were trying to find someone to kind of spin it, I believe. But knowing the family, the family called me the day before he came back because um, they had found me on Facebook. <laughs> That's why my Facebook is very open. And basically, and they were, they were devastated. They did care for him, but they, number one, 
um, knowing them and, and walking them through the weeks that we were on the phone trying to help them, because I knew it was going downhill, is they didn't understand why he would not participate in family activities. These are not big deal breakers. Um, he was always on, like, his phone or his PS feeder, which actually is his escape. It's his safety net. Um, but I knew that. They didn't. They didn't know that. The social worker, of course, didn't tell them that. And he got into an altercation. Um, just a shove, just a shove with the foster father, um, over, he, they went to, I don't know, it was over French fries and a McDonald's. Like he wanted Burger King. They went to McDonald's, you know, and this would be a typical, you know, teenager. This, I know. Yeah. It would be, it, I live it. So I just, I kind of laughed through it and you know, it's not worth the escalation, but there was nobody there to really help them through it. And that was their final straw. Um, they also had a younger child, and I, at that point, for both of my boys, knowing them um, before adoption, would not have ever placed them in a home with a younger child because they need so much attention that there could be issues with that. And um, so I think there was some issues there, too. Um, it just was not a good match. We've now had them come down, and I've given him closure. we worked, we met with them to have closure. Um, Which, by the way, although, is so healthy. It is so, you know, we talk, this is, oh, sorry, I just said the mic. We talked about this no, 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 no. on this podcast where, you know, it was Sonia. She's, we talked about how they, all of a sudden a child leaves a, a foster home and they there's no communication, no talk. And, right. You know, and, right. and, and how healthy it is that you did that, Connie, that you you did closure because we, we need closure, Yes, you do. And, and you need to have all the pieces of your life. And, you know, that's my other platform is um, one of the things that, um, and I know that you and I are going to talk some more about it, Rob, with Maureen, but that it is a really, our children don't have all their pieces. So what my daughter, who's a senior now in college, did for the boys, it took her over three years. For both boys, she went back to every placement they were in. Now, my boys know their timeline because I did that work with them and I did it work with Taylor before I adopted him in the system. And so they knew where they were. They knew the facts. They knew what they believed, but they knew the, the legal facts, the timeline. And she went back to every place and then I helped her and we got pictures where we could and we got stories where we could. And she put them together for New Year's this year and gave them to the boys. We had no baby pictures of Davion. We now have baby pictures of Davion. You know, Dana, that's, um, that's, could you imagine Dana's a mother of two and, um, two beautiful kids who I, I'm love to uh, say that I actually know them, <laughs> but could you imagine not having a picture of either one of your babies? Yeah. I just can't even fathom that. I mean, especially with social media, it's just like every day when you have a new baby, picture, 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 you drive other people crazy. Yeah. So just imagine your, well, I believe we're going to change this. We are going to change. We, this. And, and we are, and, and Connie and I've had this conversation before, you know, I just, uh, <laughs> Imagine I look at my four beautiful, beautiful babies and now 15, 12, 12, and 10, but we have no baby pictures of them. Only Tristan, and Tristan was six months when he arrived, but every nothing prior to six months. And no baby, Maya, my daughter, she was four and she's going to be 15. She just turned 15. And I have not one baby picture of her and it's heartbreaking it is it is and then I look at myself my my kids have asked me they've said you know Uh daddy and I have I think I have a picture of me in fourth grade but nothing prior to that wow 
Mm. Well, one of the things, it's really sad. My boys, their first pictures were heart gallery pictures. So we had pictures, well, we had their weddings, that we had the the TV show. So Taylor was, I think, we did that video, I think he was like through four when he was first adopted um, with his sisters. And then we had the heart gallery picture and nothing in between. Then we had Davion, he had nothing. He had his heart gallery picture. And he was 15 when we started to work on those on that. So, you know, and, and the other thing that I did for both my boys is we found, I found family. And, of course, with the media, the family found us. And so I engaged them to see the safety levels. The boys were getting old, were older, though. And it, there was a lot of good there. And to be honest, Davion's um, family, although his file, because I pulled it, said no relatives. His his he, 15, he learned that his biological mom had died two weeks before. He actually um, got his birth certificate and looked it up. And she lived 10 minutes, 15 minutes from where he was. So he never saw her, although he could have seen her. Um, and, and I went to a family reunion two years ago. 200 people were there. They're 15 minutes from our house. Now, they're all glad he's with, with me, and he knows them, but at age seven, at age five, at age four, he could have been adopted by that family, and he wouldn't have had the traumas that he experienced in foster care. We fail in so many different ways, and what the system does down here is they do something called an accurate family search, and what that is, it's a computer-run search, and his said no family. But I don't know what happened to social work where you actually do family finding and you actually, you know, talk to people and look for relatives. And and this is the but issue yeah. that this is the issue, Dana, and I spoke about is that states don't talk to states. I mean, just be this is yeah. children who enter the system need to be put in a national database. That national database has to be able to look everywhere everywhere because reunification to me is so important and if we fail doing the 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 legwork that we should be doing because you know grandma jones moved to to greenville south carolina you know i mean it's just it makes no sense to me whatsoever why we have set up to fail. You know, doing this podcast, first of all, you know, fostering change, you know, we want to we want to make change. And so, you know, Connie, I have to tell you, Dana and I are just <laughs> unbelievably grateful that you came on this this podcast and, and telling your story. And I, I have a feeling you're going to be a guest that we're going to have on many, many more times. Absolutely. I feel like we have so many Anytime. more things to talk about. Yeah, so many more things to talk about. But you know, as we wind <laughs> this do. down as we you know, from one one adopted parent to another adopted parent. Thank you. Thank you. The struggle is real. And but the love is so much better more than anyone can imagine and you know my my I, I go back to on Sunday my my son Makai handed me a little flower it's the tiniest little flower that he picked up off this bush and he said daddy I know the flower is small but my love for you is big and this is you know a child who he's my boy and he is my boy and but that's that he's right when he says that the kids the love that they can give you is so big um oh it comes back it comes back tenfold it really it does. does it really does and so dana and i always like to ask you know we've decided to, we're starting to ask and so dana let's ask the questions that we we want to know 
If you could change two things about the foster care system right now, what would they be? Wow. Well, that's why we didn't do just one. We did two because there's a lot. (laughs) If I could change two things, I would want to change the fact that we are not keeping children with their biological families like we should because I think that the trauma that we're causing is worse sometimes than what is caused in the biological home because of the challenges in their world and their community. And when a child has to be removed, they need to be safe and they need to have resolution and permanency quickly because they're not safe. They're not safe in foster care. One of the things that I've thought about a lot, just learning all this stuff about foster care and what these children go through is that, you know, they're removed from their homes because whoever is supposed to be taking care of them, their parents, or is not doing a good job. But then they get put into all of these other traumatic situations and the outcome is not much better for a lot of kids. No, it. And, and, you know, I, in, in having a relationship, I have a close relationship with Taylor's biological mom and she's like a little sister to me. And, you know, he has a relationship that's very healthy with them. And uh, we have that in the last couple of years. And she said to me, she said to him, and she owns everything, but she said, I signed surrender to my children because I knew I had an addiction and I needed to deal with it. And I was going away. She said, I believe I was giving them a better life. Now, you have to realize the family that first adopted Taylor not only abused him, but gave him back. And she said, I had no idea because he's, he's, he was sharing his anger with her. And she says, I am so sorry, honey. I thought I was doing the right thing for you. Wow. And that just said it all to me. And it's so emotional. And he needed to hear it. She needed to say it. And we did what we, what we don't make it better. And our goal is, you know, we should, we have to make it better. We have to make it safe. My boys still don't feel safe. And Rob, I know you understand this. When do you begin to feel safe in life? They still wake up and check the door at night. Um, You know, they will give me scenarios. If someone knocks on our door and tries to hurt us, what do we do? I'm like, you're safe, you know? Um, And they carry that into their life. And now I'm helping them become adults, you know? And I worry. And I, you know, I know Taylor's at college and he doesn't sleep. You know, he came home at spring break and he, he ran, he drove through the night. It's about six hours away. And he came in and I waited up. It was about three o'clock in the morning. And he just put his head in my lap and wanted me to rub his temples and just hug him. Just hug him. He says, I don't sleep. Just hold him and hug him. And he said, and this is a child they said would never attach. You know, I'm so blessed and honored to be their mom. You know, I always say this, and I think that, Rob, this is so true. People are like, you saved those children. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. They saved me. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh, my gosh. I live that all the time. I, I write about it in the book. I, I talk about it in my life <laughs> that, you know, I, I, and by the way, I love my husband to death. 15 years, we're getting ready to celebrate. But I don't <laughs> know if I would be where I'm at today, the man I am today, and, and, you know, talk about mental illness, you know, I, I'm, I'm very open about the, the fact that, you know, I see a therapist and that I don't know if I would have had the strength if it wasn't for my four babies, um, who really gave me my purpose, who gave me my purpose, you know, and that's what it's about. You know, Connie, we can't (laughs) thank you enough. You have been an absolute gem as always. You and I have lots more to talk about. Another, we have a new (laughs) conference call coming up. Let me tell you, you're not going to hear the end of this with Connie and myself (laughs) and Dana. And we're going to, we're actually going to bring in another friend of ours. Uh, Maureen's going to be on this show. We're going to do another podcast soon and talk about, you know, what are some of the things that we're going to start 
making sure happens. Again, it's not just about talking about change. It's demanding the change. And for us here at Fostering Change Podcast and ComfortCases.org, you know, we want everybody to visit and help us. But Connie, tell us, where can we find you? You can find me, super simple, is ConnieGoing.com. It's my website. Everything kind of can come in through there. There's a place to send me a message or look me up on Facebook. Love to talk to you there too. But really, it's it's ConnieGoing.com. You know, if you're thinking about having that conference and you can't find that person who can motivate your people, I'm telling you, I have heard Connie give um, a speech and she's an amazing, amazing speaker. Um, and so please visit Connie's website, find her on Facebook. And also, you know, again, don't forget, find us at Comfort Cases org. We need those bag busters. We're looking for those people to give $10 a month because we truly believe that eliminating trash bags for children in our foster care system will bring them dignity and hope, and we need everyone's help. So, Connie, thank you. Dana? Thank you so much, Connie. It's been so thank, great talking to you. you. Thank you for sharing thank your you story. Both. Have an amazing week, Take my care. friend. We'll talk soon. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at ComfortCases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.